Hey jailbirds, welcome to Jailbird Chronicles. I'm Brittany and I'm a forensic social worker here to get chatty about criminal justice and some other related topics. And of course, I'll be giving you my perspective from the other side of the barbed wire. Let's get into it. On last week's episode of Jailbird Chronicles, I read a letter that was written by an incarcerated person on Rikers Island. I also provided some insight in response to the things that were written in that letter. Since the recording of last week's episode, I've spoken to a former colleague of mine who still works on Rikers Island. I was informed that the hunger strike that was referenced in that letter I read to you all was only happening at one jail on Rikers Island called RNDC. And it was really only the older population in that jail who were engaging in that hunger strike. And by older population, I mean 50 years and above. For all of my listeners who are 50 years and above, I am not saying that you are an older population. That's just what the criminal justice system calls the older population, 50 and above. Don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. Um, but this hunger strike was in response to restrictions that were being enforced by DOC temporarily to in an attempt to minimize the spread of Omicron. So the population that is more likely to have severe symptoms of COVID-19 if they were to contract it are the ones who are opposed to restrictions being enforced to try to protect them. And these restrictions, they they might not be 100% able to prevent the spread of Omicron. You can't even do that outside of jail. There's just no way of doing it. And we, even though we've learned more about COVID-19 as time has gone on, we still know very little because information is changing every day, especially with new variants coming up. So I, it just makes me wonder. In society, we have had to modify how we live our lives because of this virus. And we have to adhere to certain restrictions and certain mandates because of this virus. I understand that jails are a restrictive place to begin with. But why should jails be exempt and not held to the, to the same standard as society when it comes to making sure that COVID-19 is not spreading when it comes to trying to minimize the spread of COVID-19. So I'm not saying that everything that DOC does in response to this pandemic is going to be 100% accurate. And they have modified restrictions over the pandemic time and time again as they're trying to you know, try one thing that didn't work, maybe try this or that, as they're trying new things. But 
when they are trying to prevent or minimize the spread of a virus in good faith, for people to try to manipulate the system by saying that they're going to refuse to eat food that is being provided to them and they're going to stick up DOC meals, which I haven't gained clarification on what they meant by that, but a stick up to me means that you're preventing food from coming out to people who actually want to eat it and that sounds hostile to me. In my opinion, precautions are being put in place to try to keep people, you included, safe. So why would you hold a jail to a higher standard than society? We're all going through it. And like I said, I understand the frustration behind it. But some things you have to just be patient through and wait it out. Thing, not everything in the jails has been completely suspended. But like I said in last episode, there's a lack of staff. And certain things need to be restricted in order to prevent people from always walking down the halls and moving around throughout the jails all day. So I empathize with the people who are incarcerated and going through this pandemic. Because that must be even more frustrating than the people who are not incarcerated and having to deal with the restrictions and mandates and protocols that have come into place because of the pandemic. But we all have to be patient. We all have to do our best to make sure that we are not infecting other people. So with that being said, it actually brings me to the topic that I want to discuss today. And I have been wanting to discuss for a very long time, but something new always came my way that I felt like needed attention first. I want to talk about the pandemic and jails and prisons. So first, I want to talk about just my own experience. Um, As I'm sure my listeners know by now, um, I have worked in two different jails on Rikers Island, and I have also worked in the Central Detention Facility as well as the Central Treatment Facility in D.C. So the whole pandemic began when I was still working on Rikers Island. And it was a scary time because we didn't know what COVID was. And we still had to go into work. Um, Initially, um, people who were doing um, facilitating programs in the jails were not seen as essential, so they were able to, um, I guess, be on administrative leave or not come into the jail. Um, Caseworkers on the mental health side were seen as non-essential, so they didn't have to come into the office. But licensed social workers like myself and 
other mental health providers and medical providers, doctors, um, as well as the officers were all seen as essential. Um, so we had to go in to work every single day. Um, in the beginning, we didn't have proper PPE. Um, I'll say that when I was working on Rikers Island um, during the pandemic, I received one surgical mask and two cloth masks at different times during the pandemic. And those cloth masks came after a lot of out of a lot of um, advocacy on the workers' parts about how we weren't being provided with proper PPE. Um, other than that, any masks that I had, any gloves, um, any cleaning products were things that I bought with my own money and brought in. Um, officers were not able to get proper PPE. Um, their was a situation that I am aware of that an officer was assigned to be posted in a unit where um, incarcerated people in that unit were positive for COVID-19. And that officer wasn't even told and um, other officers told her, listen, that people are positive in that unit. So she had asked for a mask and the deputy warden said, I'm not giving you a mask because I don't have enough for everyone. And then one of the captains gave her a mask and the deputy warden took that mask away from her and wrote the captain up for giving her a mask. So she had to go into a unit where no one even, where the higher ups assigned her to, but didn't even tell her that anyone was positive in that unit. She had to hear that from other officers who knew. She had to go into that unit without any PPE at all. And sure enough, she contracted COVID and has significant health problems from that. That's only one story. Majority of the officers there have contracted COVID at some point. We did not have proper PPE. Um, due to donations, I believe that Jay-Z was kind of the face of. Um, the incarcerated people were provided with masks um, uh, I saw a lot of them making origami out of them instead of wearing them, but, you know, they're, they're entitled to use their PPE as they want, I guess. Um, but it was very scary. It was very scary having to go into work, being in these unventilated buildings, um, and then having to go home to my family and being worried that I might spread it to someone in my household. Um, for 
a little while I was able to stay off of the units but then we were told that we have to go on to the units um and not every unit is a unit where intakes you know don't come in where people are that have been in the jail for a long time my units had people who had come off the street not too long before being placed on my unit a lot of units were like that and it was very scary at the beginning because you had what was going on in society and then you have to go into the jails um which just heightens everything. So initially what I observed there, the incarcerated people were still able to have their recreation time as normal. Um, they were still able to go out to yard. They were not getting the regular programs or like groups um, that they normally did um, because it was advised not to have groups of people um, in one space. So groups were not being held. Um, social services was still available to the incarcerated people, just not as frequently as normal. Like I believe social services would normally be on the units um, every day jail is different with how they work out their social services but um social services would normally be on the units probably like every day um that was reduced but they were still receiving their social services i was working doing re-entry work i was on the units every day um the mental health clinicians were on the units every day um People were still being called for sick call if they needed to see medical. Um, so those really essential uh, services that the incarcerated people need were still um, were still available to them. Court was being held through video court. They were still able to meet with their attorneys. Um, visitation had stopped. Um, because they didn't want to have people coming in and out of the jails and possibly spreading it even further. So that stopped um, temporarily. And there was a jail that I had actually worked in when I first started working on Rikers Island. But there was a jail that had been completely closed down they ended up reopening that jail. Um, and that kind of became like the intake jail. So anyone coming in off the streets, that's where they went to quarantine. Um, and it was also like the COVID positive jail. So if someone was positive for COVID, they would be staying in that jail until their quarantine period ended and they had tested negative. Um in terms of the females, because they only had that one jail, I believe that they had a certain section for people to quarantine in when they were coming in or when they tested positive. Um, but for the men 
they were able to open up, reopen that jail that had been previously closed down and use it as an intake slash quarantine jail. Um, that is, I think, I know people might be like, what a benefit, but that is one benefit of Rikers Island that there are so many jails on one place that they had the luxury of being able to open a building that was closed and use it in this time of emergency. Um, they weren't getting their normal services of like library. Um, they were still able to get their commissary, but like I said, other programs and things like barbershop were not running. Um, just like in society. I mean, we couldn't get our hair and nails done. Um, but I followed up to see what is going on currently. And I was told that that jail that I just talked about that was reopened is being used as an admissions jail where an incoming person will quarantine for 14 days and then be transferred to, um, to another housing facility. In terms of the females, because there's only one women's jail on Rikers Island, um, they have a section for admissions to come in and quarantine for 14 days, and then they'll be transferred to GP, general population, sorry. Um, Social services is going to the dorms to um, meet with people in need of their services. Um, Law Library has been calling people on a limited basis, mostly for discovery material sent by attorneys. Attorney visits never stopped. Like I said, attorneys were still able to visit their clients. And also um, in New York City, um, phone calls are free for incarcerated people, so they could also call their attorneys on those phones. Um, they also have legal aid. Um, I want to say kind of like liaisons. I know that that's not what their title is, but they work for legal aid, and um, they would also they they're stationed in the jail, so they're also able to help coordinate phone calls between the incarcerated people and their attorneys. Um, in terms of the phones being on recorded lines, um, I am not sure if attorney phone calls are not recorded, but either way, anything discussed with an attorney on the DOC lines would not be admissible in court. Um, like it couldn't be used against them at all because that's a privileged conversation. Um, so yeah, like I said, attorney visits had never stopped. Um, the hearings are virtual. They were having visit, um, they were having, um, video court, um, since the beginning of the pandemic that's still going on, 
um, because courts got really backed up from the beginning in terms of everything kind of shutting down and then them gradually starting to do video court. Um, And a thousand officers have been back to New York City jails since January 2022. So that's definitely good because shortage of staff was a huge issue. It continues to be a huge issue when you think of the grand scheme of things. A thousand officers isn't, you know, a crazy amount, but it's definitely a lot of people um, that could be spread out among the jails and relieve their co-workers who have been pulling triples. Um, And also, it's more staff for the units and for escorting needs and anything else um but moving over to the dc jail so i was also working in the central detention facility and central treatment facility in our nation's capital um during the pandemic as well and When I got there, I understand that they don't have the facilities to do what, um, what was done on Rikers Island, you know, just reopening a facility, making it the intake, making it the quarantine facility. You can move people around. I understand that they don't have that ability. Um, but... I mean, they really made Rikers Island look like they have a handle on things beyond just their COVID measures, which I'm pretty sure I've said before in a past episode. I know I have. Um, Programs were not running at all. Um, Basically, uh, the the incarcerated people were given tablets and... um, I remember I was working in one of my units I was assigned to was a re-entry unit and the program coordinator was boasting about the um, lesson plans that he had created in the tablets for the um, participants of that program to utilize so that, you know, it's supposed to be like the same thing as the regular program, but it was really just articles and TED Talks and um, some of the lessons didn't even work because they weren't compatible with the tablets. And a major thing Some people don't know how to read very well, and they don't know how to use computers and other forms of technology. And um, so doing programming in that way just is not beneficial. Um, But like I said, programs were just completely at a standstill other than giving them tablets uh, to read articles. And um, 
the chaplain wasn't really providing services. Um, I mean, I was very upset because one of the clients that I was working with, his daughter had been in an accident and was severely injured. And he was her, um, he was the person who had to make the decision on what the doctors would be able to do in that situation. And the chaplain is supposed to allow for phone calls. And the chaplain really gave him a hard time about getting those phone calls. He had told me that one time the chaplain said, you have to make your phone call quick because I need to go to lunch. Um, he said that one time the chaplain had said that, you know, I'm not even supposed to be giving you a phone call or I'm only supposed to give you one phone call. Um, and higher ups from like the warden's office had to tell the chaplain, no, you have to give him the phone call. And, you know, going back to what the chaplain said about lunch, I get that everyone needs to, um, is entitled to their lunch, but in some situations it's okay to be a little flexible and be like, okay, once this person completes their call that they're entitled to, then I'll go to lunch. Working in jail and really working anywhere requires a little bit of flexibility. Things happen that are unpredictable and you sometimes have to shift your schedule around a little bit. I understand that could be frustrating because I'm someone who likes to stick to a schedule, but I've had to learn over time how to be flexible. Um, there was a stay-in-place order, um, which basically means that the incarcerated people were and continue to be confined to their cells for 23 hours a day. Now, the DC jails do not have dorm cells. Uh, I'm sorry, dorm units. Only cell units. And usually there is more than one person in the cell. But because of COVID, they were doing one person to the cell except for the intake unit the intake unit where people are supposed to quarantine for 14 days, the intake unit where people are supposed to be getting tested to see if they have COVID, in that unit, there were two people to a cell. Um, but with the stay in place, everyone had to be in their cells for 23 hours a day out for rec for one hour. Um, that was a little hard to manage in one of the buildings in the central treatment facility. Those cell doors do not lock. So because they don't have toilets or sinks inside the cell. Um, so they don't lock so that the incarcerated people can get in and out of the cells freely to use the facilities. So even though there was supposed to be a stay in place, that couldn't really be enforced in that particular building because the cell doors were open and the incarcerated people were walking in and out anyway. 
but for everyone else 23 hours inside you get one hour of rec to take your shower make a phone call um watch tv warm up some food whatever the case may be that is still in place um back in the summer well the spring spring summer of 2021 they started doing outdoor rec for each unit i think it was like once a week they would get it but that was your one hour so if you went outside for recreation for that one hour when you came inside you weren't able to use the phone that was your recreation you couldn't use the phone you had to go back to your cell like that was it and then you're back in your cell until the next day when you get rec again um and when i say rec i mean recreation um and if you decline to go outside because maybe you're just not feeling it that day whatever reason you just don't want to go outside according to their policy you forfeit your recreation so i'll break this down even further let's say you went to rec on tuesday from one o'clock to 2 p.m on wednesday they were doing outdoor rec but you didn't want to go outside so basically you forfeit your rec and your next rec time is on Thursday from 1 to 2. So that means that from Tuesday, 2 o'clock, when you ended your recreation, to Thursday, 1 o'clock, when you start your recreation, you have been sitting in your cell that is more than 24 hours. That's looking more like 48. In terms of attorney visits... Um, attorney visits at one point, I believe were suspended, but then they were allowing attorneys to come in, but attorneys, even though I had told attorneys before you, you can come in to see your client, um, for some reason I'll get into in a minute, my take on it, but for some reason they didn't want to come into the jails. So they put it on us the case managers to um provide legal calls in my opinion supervisory case management should advocate should have advocated that legal calls are not necessary if attorneys are allowed to come into the jail to do visits to me, it was attorneys taking advantage of the fact that, oh, well, we already have people in jail who can just give them the phone and I don't have to come into um, to the jail, inconvenience myself, or expose myself to COVID. No, I'll just leave that for the people who are there. That's how I take it. When you have the option to come in, but you allow other people to do that work of making sure you get in contact with your client for you. That's just what I, how I see it. I also think that, like I said, supervisory case management should have advocated and said, we're not doing legal calls anymore. You guys are allowed to come in. Um, and And the legal calls were... 
the attorney would request a call for a certain day they would be put on the list and then the case managers had to go to the people who were in their unit so like I was assigned to four units so if anyone from any of my four units were on that list I would have to go and give them um, the phone so that they can make their phone call um, legal calls on the DOC phones in DC are actually free so they could have used those phones also but um we were tasked with having to provide those calls go from person to person to give them those calls and that is still going on um even though like I said attorneys are allowed to come into the jail um but that's still happening and I even know of a situation in which uh incarcerated person tested positive for COVID and the case manager did not feel comfortable giving the legal call to that person because that per the case manager did not want to expose themselves to getting COVID by coming in contact with this person and was told by the supervisory case manager that the case manager had to give the phone call anyway and the case manager said, I'm not doing it. I'm not exposing myself. And that supervisory case manager said, then have the officer do it. Oh, so the officer's life is also not valuable. If it's so important, why doesn't the attorney come in? Why don't you, supervisory case manager, give that call? You're supposed to be the leader in all of this. And... It's against policy to give a legal call to someone who tested positive for COVID. We're not supposed to, well, I'm not a case manager anymore, but case managers are not supposed to come in contact with them. I've had clients that I worked with who needed legal calls and either I just wasn't able to give them their call or if they were in a unit where there was a rotary phone, a phone that can be um, rolled around and put, you know, in front of the person's cell, um, then they can make the call in there if it was like an isolation cell. Um, but we weren't supposed to be coming in contact with people who knowingly tested positive. However... COVID started spreading rampant around those jails again um, because I guess the precautions that they had in place from before and still continue to have in place that clearly didn't work are still in place. And um, uh, it's clearly not helping if you have majority of the units on isolation because people incarcerated people are still testing positive don't get me started on the employees who work there who have tested positive not for the first time but for the second time because of doc and their quote-unquote precautions that seem to be not very effective and it just leads me to question, well, do we learn anything? Do we do trial and error? 
if you've seen that something doesn't work for the past two years? Is there a point where you say, oh, let's change up our tactic? The incarcerated people at the D.C. jail, they were not getting library services, which is unfortunate because at least with the library, they would get books to be able to entertain themselves. Sometimes there would be books in the day room that, you know, they would read, but that wasn't always the case. And if that was the case, um, if that was the case, there usually weren't a lot for them to read. Um, me and the other case managers would do our best to like print out puzzles and like Sudoku and word searches and stuff to, you know, give them something to occupy their time. Um, but yeah, library wasn't functioning. Law library was functioning through the case managers. Um, so the case managers were always coming in contact with the incarcerated people. And there were alerts sent out to let people know um, which units were isolation units, um, who had tested positive for COVID and what units. Um, but when your day starts at 8 a.m., getting that alert at 2 o'clock in the afternoon is not totally helpful when you've probably come in contact with people who were on that list as testing positive for COVID a few times. And I told my supervisor, I said, these alerts should be coming in first thing in the morning. But it didn't change. Anyway, law library, if an incarcerated people, if an incarcerated person put in a request to case management saying that they needed whatever case or whatever information from law library, case managers, we would just contact law library and they would email us whatever it was that the person was requesting. And then the case managers would bring it to them. Um, in, in terms of visits, there were no visits. Um, I think at one point they were starting to do virtual visits through the tablets, but only in some units and it wasn't on the educational tablets that programs were using. It was on the recreational tablets and usually the, um, usually the units only had like three tablets and what is three tablets to 52 a hundred people. Beginning in the beginning of February 2022, um, they started doing outdoor gym, um, outdoor and gym for recreation once a week for each of the units. But it is that policy again, like I said, if you don't want to go outside, then you're forfeiting your recreation for that day. And if you do go outside or to the gym, then when you get back, that's it for recreation. You're not making phone calls. You're not watching TV. You're not warming up food. That's it for the day. Um, 
staff have been advocating case managers, other DOC staff, um, you know, that aren't officer who aren't officers, um, have been really advocating for the ability to telework or have staggered schedules. It's not, it's, it's really as a case manager with as much that is put on our shoulders, as much responsibility is put on our shoulders. Um, it's really not necessary for us to be there every day or for them to be there every day. Like I said, I'm not a case manager anymore. They have advocated to at least have certain days when, you know, they can telework and come in, you know, to limit the amount of time they're spending in it, in the jails, um, those advocacy efforts fell on deaf ears. Um, of course, I mean, even when I was working on Rikers, it took a lot of advocacy from um, the reentry specialists as well as our supervisors. But we were at one point able to get um, a schedule of working three days in the office and then two days on call. Um, so that on-call meant if someone who also worked during your tour time called out, you could potentially get called in to work in order to make sure that there was coverage. Um, and then as cases went down, it went to four days in the office, one day on call. Um, but at DOC in DC, there has been no budging on that at all um higher ups like the director who is no longer the director anymore as well as deputy directors and other people at supervisory levels have had the option of quote-unquote teleworking um and I just think that if you are trying to evade exposure to the virus and you are going to do that by not coming into work or not coming into the office as frequently as you normally would had there not been a pandemic, then you should, then you clearly understand that this is an issue that you want to avoid so you should show the same respect to your staff. Show them that you care about their health and wellness as well, especially when they're begging you. If you don't want to be there, what makes you think that your team wants to be there? If you're going to make your team be there every single day, five days a week, regardless pandemic or not, then you should be there five days a week, pandemic or not. You're the leader, so lead. Previously, the officers in D.C. were, um, they were working 12-hour shifts with the possibility of being drafted for um, more hours after their tour had ended. But um, they have resumed the eight-hour-a-day schedule. Um, and for the staff, 
really the only change that has been made is that when you walk in, um, staff has their temperature taken and then also is given a surgical mask. At this time, they are no longer being given surgical masks. They are being given KN95 masks. But other than that, precautions for um, staff have not been enhanced as time has gone on through this pandemic and um, other accommodations and resources could have been obtained. Um, I still have so much more to talk about in regard to COVID and jails and prisons. And that was just a couple of the places that I have had a connection to and that I can directly speak on from experience. But I am going to get into what's happening regarding jails and prisons on a global level um, in next week's episode. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. That's all I have for you today, Jailbirds. But no worries. New episodes are available on Spotify and Anchor every Thursday morning, just in time for your morning commute. And you can always get chatty with me on Instagram and TikTok at Jailbird Chronicles and on Twitter at Jailbird Cron. Be safe, Jailbirds.